0: Hello. Welcome to the Not The Top 20 podcast, sponsored by Betfair, where international breaks do not exist. This is the Monday pod. George Ellick and myself, Ali Maxwell, looking back at a slim slate across the leagues, but still plenty to discuss. In League One, for Forrest Green, a slam dunk. Defunct for Wednesday. Five for Exeter may make Aki get down now. Posh kept it real. Mason Clark made his mark to spark the playoff battle into life. And in League Two, the top three's wobble allows cobblers to gobble up second spot. Another Donny goalkeeper error to make the mind boggle. Done by a bobble? Nah. Swindon squabble after early red and Stockport waddle to victory. And Dale beyond the pale once again. Defeat to Crawley surely means the survival ship has sailed. Welcome to the show, everyone. And hello, George.
1: I've been waiting for so long for you to uh, reference Boy Band 5 in your intros (laughs) and their tour of the minor festivals in the UK this summer but you've finally done it, so well done
0: The EFL newsletter by NTT20, number one of many Let me just turn on the music so we can talk about it you were a recipient of it, George. I was the writer of it, so I know what it felt like for me. Tell me, how did it feel to, to wake up this morning as the first ever EFL newsletter by NTT20 dropped into your inbox?
1: Yeah, my first reaction was probably jealousy. Um, I want to uh, write as newsletters as good as, as you do. It, it's brilliant, mate. It's so good. Um, honestly, if you're listening to this pod and you haven't subscribed, I, I can't really work out why unless just reading stuff on your phone or laptop isn't really what you like to do. Um, so I would definitely go and do it. I would do it before listening to the pod as well. I think it would be a very, very good um a, you know accompaniment to what you're about to listen to for the next hour or so so um, ntt20.substack.com go there sign up for free it is free at the moment it may not be free um, next season but if you want to pledge which some very kind people have already done uh, and kind of show your support early on and um, that is of course appreciated but by no means necessary amazing start 10 out of 10 I probably should have written a, an intro all about the Substack um, stack <laughs> because I, I enjoyed it so much.
0: That's, that's very kind. That means a lot. I, I did enjoy putting it together. Um, notes on every match that took place over the weekend with links direct to the highlights so that you can watch the games that sounded most interesting if you missed them at the time. Curated social media content as well. So the best clips, the best content uh, from the EFL. Nothing like this exists. I really believe that uh, and therefore. I believe that for an EFL fan or someone who's just even half interested in it, Subscribing to a free newsletter, having the content delivered to you every Monday and for the next few months as well. Every Friday, a weekend preview should be up your alley. ntt20.substack.com, completely free to sign up and completely free for the rest of the season. So please just give it a go today. See what you think about the first one and send in some questions for the mailbag, which will be going out in a couple of days time. We'll get across uh, any questions, queries that you may have about the EFL, either serious or frivolous. We like both in equal measure. Let's start our EFL roundup with the only game that took place on Sunday. Forest Green won Sheffield Wednesday nil. Any listeners of the betting show know this was a result that we did not see coming.
1: Yeah, sometimes you can end up with egg on your face um, when you're doing a betting show, and I guess this is one of them. Although I've got to say, I gotta say, I would, you know, sometimes you are regretful when you make a pick that looks silly. I. I can't say that I could possibly have foreseen what we were to see here, um, because even though Wednesday were beaten in midweek by Barnsley 4-2, there wasn't too much in the performance itself to concern, you know, in my mind to concern Wednesday fans and Wednesday players. You know, they were still pretty good going forward. They came up against a uh, an attacking side in, in Barnsley who are in incredible form, and up against a side in, in Forest Green that have shown next to nothing under Duncan Ferguson. Mm-hmm. There was no reason in my mind to, to to foresee what would happen, and that was not only that Sheffield Wednesday would win, would lose the game, and you know shocks do happen, and we've seen Ipswich in particular drop so many points in games against against lowly opposition this season. But normally those shocks follow a certain pattern and that is that if you played the game 10, 15, 20 times, the vast majority of the time the away side, sorry, the you know the, the favourite, the, the top team would win, but just, they were just on the receiving end of some variants where on that day the, the opposition were more, were more clinical. This did not follow that pattern at all. Forest Green were good value for their win. Not only did they create the better chances in open play up to the Jordan Garrett goal, but after Wednesday went behind, when you expect that they would pile on the pressure up against a side who hadn't won under Duncan Ferguson in nine games, had scored barely any goals, had conceded so many. But Forest Green saw it out with relative ease. There was a lack of urgency from Wednesday. They looked leggy. You know, a 23-match unbeaten run ending would, of course, provide some um, difficulties mentally in, in order to overcome. But you'd think a away trip to Forest Green should, should overcome that. And then especially from behind... You know, when I guess the pressure on, on maintaining a leader, holding on to a leader is gone, you would expect them to at least come out and, and challenge. But that wasn't the case. Um, Plymouth Argyle fans over the moon that their former player, Jordan Garrick, was the, the 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 man to get the goal to keep them top of the league with a decent finish. But they were obviously far, far better. And and maybe, you know, I spoke at length last week about how the performance against Argyle was very strange. How, you know, a, a complete lack of... A seeming lack of desire and intensity to win the game was bizarre. Maybe it was all in preparation for this. Maybe for Duncan Ferguson, he thought, well, hold on, we've got a game live on Sky on a Sunday at home. Let's preserve against a team who are going to play in midweek. Let's preserve our energy and put everything into that in order to give the whole place a bit of a lift. And if that is what he's done, (laughs) then fair play to him. He's, He's executed it perfectly.
0: They are not playing a recognised number nine. They're not playing a striker. In in football manager terms, people are often trying to find strikerless formation that works. And on this occasion, it absolutely did. I would genuinely, if I had to write down this formation in numbers, I would write it as a 4-2-4-0 four, four, because Miles Pert-Harris and Charlie Savage are not strikers. They were the two attacking central players. I'm going to say they were... Pressing tens, Some people might want to call them false nines. But uh, as far as I could tell, their main remit was out of possession. And that was to harass and harry the centre-backs and also, at times, block the passing lanes into Bannon and the other deep Sheffield Wednesday midfielder. And they did it absolutely brilliantly. Uh, the wide forwards were, were Garrick and McAllister. And they were really, really good at making sure there were no easy balls into the wing-backs. Sheffield Wednesday get a ton of progression down the sides, but very narrow pitch at Forest Green, incredibly windy on Sunday, which I do think had an impact on the quality of the passing uh, or rather exacerbated the lack of quality in Sheffield Wednesday's um, passing. Those wide players really helped quash the threat of the wing-backs. And also, in attack, they were the big threat. It was always McAllister or Garrick scampering scampering into space down the channels because Sheffield Wednesday had obviously committed quite a lot of men forward, Uh, the wide players getting very high, even the outside centre-backs attacking pretty strongly down both sides. So the space was there, and they exploited it. And as you say, they looked... The better side, even at 1-0, they had the biggest chance of the game. And it came from exactly what I've spoken about. McAllister, the extra man in transition, cutting inside, cutting inside again, cutting inside again. Uh, and a shot brilliantly saved by Cameron Dawson. They were so, so good. It wasn't just that front four, though. Um, it was the two in midfield, Bunker in particular, who, when the ball did get past the front four and their impressive press it was like they had a second wave of that um, to make sure that the midfield area was pretty clogged up uh, bunker did a really good job on that front with McGeehan next to him and then of course there were times where Sheffield Wednesday did get the ball in and around their box and did go direct into Michael Smith and I thought Brandon Cooper handled him absolutely brilliantly I thought Godwin Maliff next to him was absolutely spot on as well it was a brilliant brilliant performance and Wednesday George they, they were completely off it I wasn't worried after that Barnsley game. After Barnsley 4, Wednesday 2, I wasn't worried at all. I thought it was just one of those games where things didn't go for them and that they played pretty well. Now, you have to be a little bit worried. I mean, here's the situation. One week ago, when we last spoke on this show, Argyle was second. They were a point behind Sheffield Wednesday and Wednesday had a game, two games in hand. Now guy are two points ahead of them and it's only one game in hand. One week ago today, Ipswich were three points behind Sheffield Wednesday, but Wednesday had two games in hand. Now they're three points behind and the games in hand are gone. One week ago, Barnsley were nine points behind and level on games. Now it's six points with Barnsley having a game in hand. No matter what you think about the performances, George, the results mean it's been a disastrous week for Wednesday.
1: It's absolutely been a disastrous week for Wednesday. Um, and uh, there was a time on, on Sunday afternoon where suddenly you're thinking, are Wednesday's still even favourites to win the league this season? And now, you know, in in the cold light of the Monday afternoon sun, Sheffield Wednesday are still odds on to win League One. They're 5-6 to with the Betfair Sportsbook. You know, for those who um, are not that way inclined in terms of betting and odds and stuff, it means that they are seen perceived to have a, a better than 50% chance. Of still winning the league, so a bit of perspective there. It's still you know not too bad. Also, you look at their fixtures for the rest of the season. They've still got to play Cheltenham, Lincoln, Oxford, Accrington, Burton, Bristol Rovers, Exeter, Shrewsbury, and Derby. So, Derby the only side there, and and Shrewsbury. Well, Derby the only side who are a promotion rival. Shrewsbury the only other side who had guaranteed a, a top half finish pretty much. Exeter, possibly a top-half team as well. Apart from that, it's all bottom-half teams. So the fixture list is incredibly kind in terms of what they've still got to come. Although there are a couple of teams within that who still have a lot to play for and are fighting for their lives at the bottom end of the table. However, the one difficulty for me is that they play in midweek. And if if they don't beat Cheltenham away on Wednesday night, then they will not be top of the table having played the same amount of games as as Plymouth Argyle. The the only way that they are still ahead of Argyle on points per game is if they win that game, which is interesting. And it's not a very easy game either. We've seen Cheltenham hit a really good vein of form recently. There was that 3-0 win against Peterborough, which not many people saw coming. Uh, A 3-1 win over Exeter last time out, Exeter then went and... um, and, and being as I'll talk about so shortly by five goals in their next game You know the form lines are pretty good a 1-0 home win against Fleetwood their home form generally is decent since that 4-0 defeat at home to Barnsley recently and then add to that you have a Sheffield Wednesday side who have played Friday uh, Tuesday Sunday and now Wednesday so four games in the space of what 12 days compared to a Cheltenham side who have had a week off they, their game against Oxford was um, was postponed due to international call ups. So basically, Sheffield Wednesday have played three times since, since Cheltenham last played, which is, again, a massive advantage for the home side. So, you know, if I was a Wednesday fan, I'd still be, I mean, I'd be obviously frustrated, but a, a bit of, you know, I'm sure Wednesday fans now think they are an outside shout for, for the title, and that probably isn't true. But I do wonder if things might get a little bit worse before they get better. I would be surprised if they were able to win the game on Wednesday night unless we see a massive uptick in terms of their performance level.
0: The final word should go to Forest Green because I absolutely loved that performance. It was by far their best performance of the season. Given that this is the highest league they've ever been in, I'm saying that's basically their best performance ever as a football club. And I think that needs to be celebrated. The fans were behind their team. They had plenty to be proud of. For Duncan Ferguson, it was his first ever win as a permanent senior manager. He's obviously won a couple of games as a caretaker at Everton. But this is where he needs to prove himself now. And I would say just on a one-off game, he absolutely came out on top and reflects very, very well on him. Of course, that was his first win, having joined in January. So it's not like he's absolutely cracked it. Uh, More to do. But good signs, their first win in in over three months. Uh, And, well, could they? Could they do it? They've got Pompey away next. They've got Derby at home and then Wickham away on Easter weekend. Then they play Barnsley at home on the 15th of April. It's a horrible run. But maybe these are the games <laughs> that are suiting them better in this current formation. We shall see. Uh, George, Peterborough 2, Derby nil means that this was a good weekend basically for neutrals who want to see an exciting end to the season, who want to see um, the key areas of the table being fought over right up until final day, ideally, because... Peterborough beating Derby means there is just one point between them. Derby in sixth spot. Peterborough chasing them down for it. Two-nil winners.
1: Yeah, a hellish run this now for Derby, really. and a run for Peterborough that we probably didn't foresee when they lost that game. I mentioned a second ago, 3-0 to Cheltenham. Um and it was a it was a weird game, I would say, this one. Um where Posh weren't in it at all in the first half. Um and that's but that's not to say that Derby were were particularly that strong either Conor Harren had a decent chance um, which was saved but they didn't create loads they had basically all the ball and all the territory but without really doing and all the pressure you know it did feel like they were well on top and the team likely to score but it wasn't as if they were creating chances at will um, throughout that first half and then uh, Ferguson made a change went switched back to a, a three brought on um, Poku and uh, Butler wasn't it at half-time um, and the change seemed to work you know having P- Poku's energy and his ability to carry the ball um, knowing how aggressive Derby are off the ball was uh, a big help getting Nathaniel better further up the pitch was a, a positive as well and they were they were clinical You know, Derby had the chances themselves Barkhausen missed a decent opportunity with a header that went wide at 1-0 um, but the goals from um, posh were impressive you know Ephraim Mason-Clark with a a, a good left to strike into the near post I think Will Smith will have um, issues certainly with a second goal where a, a really tame shot from Poku was was spilled into Orbetta's path um, he really should have held on to it and even the first even though it's a good strike from Mason-Clark with an unbelievably telegraphed step over which I loved Um one of the slowest longest step overs you'll see but it did the business to get himself enough space to fire into the near, near post um, but as a keeper you probably don't want to get beaten there um, Derby also felt like they should have had a penalty Harvey White brought down I didn't think it was a pen I think um, White kind of kicked it onto the defender's foot I think the, the defender's quite fortuitous in terms of it being quite a clumsy tackle but that getting that foot on the ball before the man um, all important there and I think Derby can have many complaints basically um, Posh took their chances Derby's keeper should have done better probably with both goals and you know, when they had one guilt edge chance through um through Parkhausen, he wasn't able to hit the target or, or, or put it in the back of the net. So um you know I, I wouldn't say there was a massive gulf between the sides for, for, for Derby. I think there'll be concerns from Paul concerns from Paul Warren that they were able to control a game, but not really look particularly dangerous within that half.
0: I don't think derby played badly here. I'd go as far as to say they played pretty well for an away team at London Road we know they've got a good record at home Peterborough the result is is pretty damaging but I don't really want to sort of pour petrol on it by saying they looked awful Um, as you've said much better in the first half big chance at 1-0 Whereas the Sheffield Wednesday performance and the manner of that defeat worries me. I don't think that's necessarily the case here. Of course, like the Sheffield Wednesday results in the last week, it's very, very damaging. If you look at the league table, just one point between them. Peterborough with the, the form and the confidence, if you like. Uh, they've picked up, what, 16 points from their last eight games. Derby just 10 and there's eight games left. So uh, Derby have to turn it around, have to f- refine their form and Peterborough have to maintain it, of course. Next Saturday, they go to Ipswich Derby possibly the most difficult fixture in the league at the moment. Peterborough are at home to Oxford, probably not the most difficult fixture in the league at the moment. So, (laughs) um, you know, it's certainly, well, it's game on, put it that way. Nine wins in 14 since Darren Ferguson took charge again. A good time to make the change. And I think that's worth pointing out as well. The manner of the change, or rather the personnel of that managerial change from McCann to Ferguson, having basically flip-flopped it seems between McCann and Ferguson for about a decade, it gets laughed at. Oh they're going back to Darren Ferguson, they, they've they got no imagination, they don't know anyone else, they just go back to the guys that they know. There have been plenty of times where they've done that and it's worked for them. Darren Ferguson, Grant McCann have both done objectively very good jobs at Peterborough over different spells. And sure, there have been spells where things don't go so well, as there are for basically every single manager that ever manages a team in the EFL. But Darren McAntony and pals made the change. They got laughed at, and you cannot say that it hasn't worked. Only Barnsley have picked up more points than them uh, since Darren Ferguson took charge again. So I think that is fair to point out. I also want to talk about Efron Mason-Clark. Efron Mason? (laughs) (laughs) Efron Mason-Clark. Because, well, E equals MC squared, right? The world's most, most famous e- equation. It means energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. And I think, George, Efren Mason-Clark, EMC, he's got energy. He's got speed. He's got a low center of gravity. He's unpredictable. He can go both ways. And I think his first goal was the equation made flesh. He had Craig Forsyth baffled by science, to use Tim Sherwood's favourite phrase. Um, but but if you go back to the start of that move, I watched the start of that highlight thinking, oh my God, Posh are playing out from the back, using their keeper, Derby have got a full-on press, and I was worried they were going to give it away and there was going to be a big chance for Derby. But they, they played through, and that's also worth pointing out. If you just watch EFL highlights... Generally, the highlights don't start with the goalkeeper and get the whole thing if it's come from a team playing out the back. But the goals they concede or the chances they concede as a result of playing out from the back and botching it, those always get shown and those always get commented on. This is a good example. And we have one in the Portsmouth game, Matt Macy playing out and, and Port Vale scoring from it. This is a good example of, of why it's worth doing if you can do it well. You, you bait the press, you play through it, and all of a sudden you've got a properly dangerous attack. And with players like Mason Clark, um, it's going to be dangerous. You know, he's he just makes things happen. I think he's got six goals and seven assists now. I really, really like his game. He He's playing off the left, but he gets... He gets shots off inside the box in good locations. His numbers are excellent, really composed in those final moments. He's not just a head down, uh, beat a man and get a shot off. He picks out teammates when they're better placed as well. He's got assists to back that up. Uh, just a wide player with consistent final product. Uh, really, really impressed. And having jumped up two divisions and joined from Barnett, um, it's another good piece of recruitment from Peterborough. And they've got a lot to thank Barnett for because they signed Jack Taylor from there as well. Uh, and they signed Ronnie Edwards from there. So three of their starting 11 uh, plucked from Barnet. There we go, George. We've also got Wickham and Portsmouth in with a shout of the playoffs. But both teams drawing on Saturday. With Derby dropping points, there was a chance for them to put more pressure on County. Uh, they haven't. Charlton won, Wickham won. Talk to me about that.
1: And you have certainly left some of that poorer form from... A few weeks ago, behind they went ahead deservedly so. Mars Lebed is a player who has so many qualities that make that make him you know, set him apart from other strikers, especially young strikers. Whether that is his athleticism, his height, but he's also got maybe the most important knack, and that is he is the score. He is also the scorer of some very very simple goals. He is. A, a striker who's got that knack or got that awareness or that movement to find himself basically on the goal line uh, in order to, to steer home balls and that can be as valuable as all the, the other things that we we waxed lyrical about when we had him in our um, 21 under 21 um, list back in January uh, and this was one of the easiest chances he'll score I think he's going to score loads of these um, to put them one nil up and they were good value for it. Wickham as was often the winner, Gareth Ainsworth reliant on a set piece to get back in the game uh, with Farino nodding home Um, for what was a decent away point for them. You know, I think there has been a a fairly significant drop-off in terms of performance level from Wickham since Ainsworth left and Bloomfield came in. That's not a massive surprise. Um, But I do think that whilst Wickham were very much in the playoff um, hunt, and obviously they are still mathematically now, uh, but they were very much so, uh, looked like they were the team that could break in. You know, that is now... Peterboroughs quite clearly, and I would be very, very surprised if if Wickham were able to, you know, bounce back from what has been, you know, a, a pretty seismic shake of of the club since Sainsworth left. Uh, and unsurprisingly, I think for Matt Bloomfield, you know, he's a new manager coming in and trying to implement new things. Um, yeah, I'd be amazed if they were able to, to get into it for Charlton. It's just how high can we finish now? Uh, and you know, for, for Dean Holden, him trying to, to get a steer on on his side for the next
0: season. Yeah, I, I was thinking about Leburn. I mean, he's scoring 0.65 goals per 90. It's, it's still, you have to say, it is still a small-ish sample size, but it's so exciting for all the reasons that you say. It's not just the goals, it's the height. Um, he can carry it. He draws fouls. He's shown some decent like awareness in terms of uh, like playmaking type stuff, linking play, particularly on the counter attack, but even, you know, using his frame and using his side to size to disrupt defenders when, when teams are defending in a low block. It's so, so exciting. Uh, it strikes me there's basically one standout teenager in each EFL division. In the championship, the standout teenager is Alex Scott of Bristol City, who has taken on a, a whole new skin in the last few months and, and looks unbelievable having played now you know, essentially two full seasons worth of football in league two, you've got junior Chamado uh, playing for Colchester United. He's coming up to basically three full seasons in football and he's still getting better. And he plays now with uh, a lot more confidence and a lot more nous than he had uh, in the first year or two of his um, senior career. And then Lieber, who's, you know, he's really only played the equivalent of probably half a season's minutes, maybe even less than that at this stage. So um, he's going to be such fun to, to track, such fun to watch his progress As with any young player, I just really hope that if there's a a move on the horizon, that it's a a move that doesn't stunt or halt his development. Um, Going to a top, top team where he's unlikely to play for a year or two doesn't have to be the end of the world. It's the sort of thing that people look at and go like, oh, you just need to get out and play games. There are Premier League teams that I believe could and would still provide him an unbelievable couple of years of development even if he doesn't play for their first team whether it's on loan or whether it's keeping him in-house and giving him elite training but equally selfishly we want to see him playing um, week in week out in the EFL and sort of watching his development a little more tangibly there are some other teenagers I, I should flag up Rowan of Lincoln the left back's been excellent um, had that hiccup the other day where he he conspired to give extra goal didn't he along with the goalkeeper Rushworth uh, Mayer of Morecambe as well uh, loads of minutes as a teenager. Cameron zip as, as Ipswich um, in, in fewer minutes. And Yasser Espria as well in flashes at Watford. Um, you may notice I'm, I'm leaving out teenager, teenagers on loan from Premier League clubs. There are plenty of them as well. Um, but really, I'm focusing on the, the EFL-developed players here. Uh, who else is going for those playoff spots, George? Portsmouth, two. Port Vale, two. The Port Derby, uh, with the Port of Vale scoring two first-half goals, um, only for the Port of Smuth to roar back and grab a point.
1: Matt may not want to see this one again.
0: Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be it's fair, good, isn't it? I mean, I'm in I'm, I'm full-on corny mode today and I don't know why, so I can't have a go at that. The,
1: uh, the Pompey keeper on loan from Luton, who's been a bit of an inspired signing uh, since coming in uh, in the days after uh, John Massino's appointment as manager, um, back in January... Um, but he had a bit of a shocker here. Mistakes for both the first two goals. Um, Pompey basically caught not being particularly effective with the ball within their own box. Matty Taylor with the, with the first goal, just a second since joining on loan from Port Vale, but Vale fans seemingly um, a big fan of him in the front two, of, of you know, the duo of him and Ellis Harrison, who of course played together at, at Bristol Rovers all those years ago, uh, a pretty effective partnership. And then the second is... Macy trying to um, play out from the back and in fairness, you know, whilst it is a keeper error, the, the finish from, from Ojo is as good as you're gonna see for,
0: for that kind of it's a goal. It's such a weird goal, mate, because yeah. the the kick is deflected. There's so much spin put on the ball that Conlan, who's probably Vale's best technical player like can't control it it's got too much spin on it and it flies off his foot behind him and then Ojo does Ojo take a touch or does the ball like it spins like perfectly in front of him to the point where it actually ends up a bit further in front of him than he even expects it to and then but then the strike comes with the most amazing like sweetness to it
1: incredible just Dispatches it. it's one of those long range strikes where you wonder why professional footballers aren't always able just to roll into <laughs> the bottom corner from kind of 25 yards yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and, and they were yeah, they capitalised on two poor bits of play from Portsmouth and were, were, were deserving of their two two goal lead. Kobe Bishop missed a penalty late in the first half, and you know it kind of looked like Pompey's season was going to fizzle out for the second time. Um, just when fans were hoping that, that they could muscle their way into the top six, and that's probably still the case because the point here isn't isn't necessarily what they need. Um, they got another penalty. Early in the second half, Bishop took it again. It was a pretty similar penalty but on the other side, but, but the keeper not able to make the save this time. Uh, not the most convincing pen. Jacob then um, scored with a tidy finish with 20 minutes to go. And, and you kind of thought then, here we go, here's the onslaught. Um, but apart from um, a, a close own goal and then a save late on, Pompey didn't really pile on the pressure. Um, you know, it wasn't like it was there was an onslaught at that point. Um, and it wasn't like... Pompey really created that much open play anyway. I think their expected goals figure for the game was 2.2. And when you consider the 1.5 of that was the two penalties, it kind of tells the story of the game. And and Jacobs' chance wasn't a low XG chance anyway. So, you know, I think Pompey have been a difficult one to get a handle on under Messina. There's obviously been improvement. There's no denying that. I don't know if they've necessarily been as good as the points tally has been under under him. Uh, I think they've come out on top in a, in a few games where they haven't necessarily been best, and I think in this occasion they, they probably got about what they deserved, you know, and maybe were not fortunate to get a point, but um, it wasn't like a two 0 down. They were they were by far the dominant side. So um, yeah, Port Vale's form hasn't been great coming into this. They're another team who look to be building for next season. You think, and, and I think fairly soon that might be the case with with uh, Portsmouth as well.
0: MK Dons one Morecambe nil. George, it's a twist of the fixture list fate that MK Dons have played three genuine relegation six-pointers in a row, beating Cambridge 1-0, beating Accrington 1-0 and now beating Morecambe 1-0. It's good timing for them, isn't it? Because finally they look like a team that can exert some level on control of control on football matches, which was not the case for the first, what, 34, 35 games of the season. You cannot argue, though, uh, with this run of games. This was pretty comfortable and, and actually probably could have been more.
1: Yeah, when you consider the teams down the bottom, who they are competing, for, um, competing with in terms of avoiding the drop... Um, you know an Oxford side who've conceded, who've had kind of four clean sheets in the last forty games or something in that vicinity, an Accrington side who conceded five last time out, whose clean sheet record is also very poor. It kind of just goes to show what just three clean sheets can really do for a season. Um, three clean sheets in a row, yeah, you know they've scored in all three, and that means they've won all three, one nil, um, in such a short space of time, and that is why these these gaps down the bottom of of leagues, as we discussed on the pod a couple of weeks ago. You know, a nine-point gap, a six-point gap is so easily bridged when no one around you is really picking up points. And if you can basically just keep a couple of clean sheets and that, therefore a minimum two, four, however many points, depending on how many you score yourselves, then very quickly you can get your way out of trouble. And that's what's happened with, with MK. You know, they've gone in 10 days, they've gone from being odds-on for relegation to, to basically looking pretty safe it now. You'd think that the run they'd have to go on from here or the turnaround of fortunes from the teams around them would have to be so... so um, so great that it feels pretty unlikely. Um, Yeah, they were good in the game as well. You know, Conor Ripley um, retweeted our tweet about him making the most saves. Um, It's always one of those kind of interesting stats where Ripley's obviously very keen to show off the fact that he's made the most saves, and rightly so, but the reason he's made the most saves is because, you know, in part because of his goalkeeping ability, but also in part because he plays for the side that can see the most shots, and therefore that isn't a particularly good stat to crow about. And again, here, he's making saves.
0: And because of his massive gloves. Yeah, he wears those comedy, you know, gloves that you can win at the fair that makes it helps yeah. him make way more saves, he can reach more shots.
1: But everyone should do it. Huh? Yeah, he kept the minute at 0-0. Um Leco scored a uh, you know a pretty easy finish um although he dispatched it pretty well. Um more commit the posts just after this with one of their only opportunities in the game. Um yeah, I mean, I guess it could have been more it, it wasn't an AMK were rampant. They certainly created the better chances and continue to press after that. Morecambe's away form, we know, is, is incredibly poor. And with Morecambe hosting Barnsley, or going to Barnsley, I think, on, on Saturday, actually, um, you know, we've seen Derek Adams. More. Last season, Morecambe's a great escape. and We've seen what Derek Adams is capable of at that football club. But, it, you know, it, it would be at this stage now from where I'm, I'm sitting, it would be a, a hell of an effort to get them out of the mess now.
0: I'm going to Paris on Saturday. I think I'd rather be going to Barnsley, to be honest. Hmm. We mentioned Dean Lewington last week. Uh, three clean sheets since he's returned uh, and since they switched to a back three in order to accommodate him and his calm leadership. Uh, and as for the match winners, it's been a different one in the last three, hasn't it? Isis scored that free kick against Cambridge. Kaikai Kai scored a nice goal against Accrington. Uh, this time it was Jonathan Lecco with the winning goal. Really nice pass from McEachran uh, and a great cross from Harvey. Uh, these are all players who you feel like You know, it's not weird to see them as match winners in a League One team, Leco and Kai Kai and and Issa. And it makes me hope and wonder whether, if they could be more consistent next season, then, you know, they really could make a big leap if they can just continue this sort of strong grip on things that they seem to have right now. Um, As you say, teams around them not picking up points, none more so than Accrington Stanley, uh, who've lost four in a row in the last 11 days. They're fixtures in March have been brutal or the schedule rather they were that team that had three games in hand over the teams around them that was giving them so much hope and what it's easy to forget is that those games can be absolutely exhausting for a team that is both a pretty bad team and one with a pretty small squad Um, for the level we've seen it with Rotherham spring to mind you know in the championship a couple of years ago where they just had a brutal schedule and they were you know they were they were running on fumes whereas mk by comparison have have just had to play every saturday the last three weeks aki have had to play every midweek as well including games against ipswich and portsmouth and argyle and they were absolutely thumped george by exeter here five nil and it's hard to say
1: anything too positive about Accrington at this moment in time um you know, they that they are still in there. Um, you wouldn't put it past on Goldman to get a reaction out of them at some point. But right now, their performance levels are really, really low. And to, to go to a side in Exeter, who you know have, have some quality players and are going to finish comfortably in the table. Um, but to go there and be beaten 5-0, to have played three games, and sorry, to have not scored in the last three games, to have gone, uh, just got the one point from their last six games in the league. You know, the 2-1 win over Forest Green at home, felt like a really significant win for them um, at that time and and they were at that time you know a few points had a buffer between them and the relegation zone Um, their fixtures also not the easiest coming up they've still got to play Sheffield Wednesday away from home uh, Peterborough at home Pompey away Bolton away and then have a what could be a a massive game on final day as they travel to Oxford um, depending on what's happening down at at the bottom end of of League One Um, it could be one of those games where you Know if Hackington are able to pick up a couple of points where the winner could stay up, um, but yeah, uh, you know, it, it's hard to make a case for them now, it just doesn't feel like there's enough quality necessarily in their squad. Um, when you think back to the a couple of years ago with Bishop and Charles up front and what they're doing now, um, two players who you feel have never really been uh, properly replaced, um, but yeah, Exeter. Very good at home. They've won three home games in a row now, uh, scoring nine goals in those three games, beating Cambridge, Lincoln, and now Accrington, um, under under a manager that joined halfway through the season. Uh, Another side who will just be looking to to finish as strong as possible and and then hope to keep key players. Um, Great to see Stansfield scoring. uh, A good bit of not-top content as well, um, getting the fifth goal in front of the Exeter fans. Um, You do wonder. I mean, it's difficult because I kind of thought and hoped given his reputation at, at Fulham and that we'd seen him play a fair bit for Fulham, um, that he might come in and be, you know, too good, basically. And, and maybe the, the, um, you know, the reasons behind the move may have been based in, you know, in, in the past and history rather than necessarily quality. He's definitely been very good, but he hasn't been that. And, and I do wonder and kind of hope as well that maybe um, his development next season will continue at Exeter Um because you know, I don't necessarily think he's done enough to show that he is either, you know, an option for Fulham in their in the Premier League next season, or already for a Championship loan.
0: Yeah, I guess my my sort of main thought with you raising that is how many teenage players, or even up, let's say, up to twenty-year-old players, whether they're loanies or or legit EFL academy graduates, how many of them are able to sustain a high level of performance and output for more than two months at a time. I can't think of very many. You know, even Alex Scott this season, who's the number one in the whole of the 72, you know, he's having bursts, really, I'd say, of four or five weeks and then maybe slightly quieter. But, I mean, even people like Lee you know, he's had periods where he's picked up injuries. Coburn is a great example at Bristol Rovers of someone who, you know, burned so brightly but is also now... Um, you know, a little quieter. So I, I think there's probably an aspect to that which is just natural, first loan. I'm a teenager. This is very, very difficult. And I've never really experienced anything like this before in terms of the schedule and the travel, etc. So So um, yeah, it will certainly be interesting to follow. You're right to flag up that that was easily the best bit of not the top... Twenty content not the top content rather uh, on our Twitter every Sunday we ask you guys to send us the best bit of content that you've seen an EFL club produce they do so much cool stuff behind the scenes filming you know pitch side angles different angles post match celebrations and it's absolutely amazing up our street and we know that it is yours as well so we want to be the place that kind of collates those every sunday so that you know that you can find the best bits it's also something that we will use our weekend notes monday newsletter uh, the efl newsletter by ntt20 ntt20.substack.com if you want to see Jay celebrating his first goal in front of Exeter's big bank, it's an amazing moment. Uh, other quality moments from Dimitri Mitchell, who put them ahead with a great goal. Uh, Josh Key has scored back-to-back goals now for Exeter. Uh, and James Scott scored his first goal in Exeter Colours as well. It was a brilliant day in Devon. And they've still got to play. You, know, you talked about them squeezing off home wins for fun at the moment. They're hosting Barnsley on Tuesday night. They're hosting Bolton on the Friday of uh, on, on Good Friday. They're hosting Plymouth Argyle on the 15th of April. They're hosting Derby County on the 18th of April. They're going away to Sheffield Wednesday. They're going away to Ipswich. They are going to have a huge say in the promotion race, even though they're not a part of it themselves.
1: It's amazing how you can make the most mundane things sound incredibly exciting with that tone of voice. <laughs> 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 they travel to Ipswich. <laughs>
0: wow! Oh, my God. Uh, George, there was a gargantuan yes. mid-table clash between Fleetwood and Lincoln. Wow! Fleetwood, the Cod Army, 2-1 victors. <laughs> oh, my God, what a game. <laughs> uh, it was actually quite a good game as well. Um,
1: a game between two sides with with little to play for beyond pride. Um, but often, as we can see towards the end of the season, they're often quite good games because they, they uh, take the game to each other and that was the case here. Um, I thought I was going to be kicking myself when I tipped up nil-nil. I mean, I was anyway, because it was a terrible tip. But when I tipped up nil-nil <laughs> on the betting show, and then the first goal was a, was a known goal, I was like, why haven't I done the old no-goal scorer? Um, but thankfully, uh, Regan Poole, although Regan Poole's goal kind of looks like an own goal as well, um, <laughs> yeah. I thought. like He definitely wheels off and celebrates, but I'm not convinced uh, that he gets the final touch. But no doubting um, that it was Jaden Stockley who scored the diving header Bosh. to make it 2-1. Yeah, I mean, it's... Fleetwood have, have, have improved since bringing in Stockley and Marriott in January they're one to keep an eye on I think because uh, it wasn't that long ago that under Joey Barton they um, were pretty bullish in the transfer market they got to a, a playoff semi-final albeit in the COVID um, years so they you know they, they didn't finish the season there but they were certainly tracking it at a, at a playoff rate um, and we spoke a lot on the podcast about how it felt like something had changed there in terms of investment and, and ambition and um, but the, you know, the signings of both Marriott and Stockley, even though they're not necessarily the kind of profiler signings that I think are the smartest way to spend money in League One, um, might signify a change. And the performances have been have been pretty good and, and they both played their part in that. So maybe a side to, to keep an eye on uh, for next season. And Scott Brown showing himself in, in management as having a pretty good first season in management too. So uh, Lincoln... Um, on the other hand, it wasn't a poor performance by by any stretch. Court playing out from the back again um, for the first goal. But um, what are they doing?
0: Don't know. Wow, George. A lot of people focusing on the top of League One. A lot of people focusing on sixth spot. A lot of people talking about the relegation battle. But I want to create drama where there is none in mid table. Exeter, Charlton, and Fleetwood are all on forty nine points. Can you believe it? So, who finishes highest? In this three-team mini league between Exeter, Charlton, and Fleetwood, who grabs the much coveted eleventh spot?
1: I mean that is a real case of making something that no one cares about sound um, sound interesting.
0: Um, I, I'm basically going to be by next week. I'm going to go. I'm going to have turned full Jim White.
1: I think, and I'm am doing a a 180, not a 360 Here we on this go. one. I, I think Charlton. Um, would be the one I would pick mm-hmm. just that maybe I was a bit harsh and maybe it was the, the fixtures that they had that played a bigger part in terms of, of their poor performances and, and they've shown enough in recent games to suggest that they are playing a lot better I think in Jess and Raksaki you've got the best player um, who plays for any of those three teams who will interestingly, what you said about um, lone players not having big impacts he's you. probably the one who's been a yeah but he, I'd say he's he, he, <laughs> he doesn't fit into it at all he's been he's been basically class for the whole season Um in his first loan, he is someone who I think will definitely have a championship loan next season and will be very good. Um, would be a very good signing for any championship side. Um, Charlton's fixtures also the easiest according to soccer stats as well. Um, from now to the end of the season, but X has been comfortably the hardest. Uh, yeah, so I'm gonna say,
0: yeah, I'm gonna
1: say, I, I'm gonna say Charlton.
0: Well, I'm gonna say Fleetwood. They host Exeter next up for them. Exeter have got to play that game against Barnsley. So Fleetwood v Exeter is a huge fixture for the battle for 11th on Saturday. <laughs> Might be our big match preview. Won't be our big match preview. <laughs> uh, and um, also Exeter have those really tough fixtures. And also you've said Charlton. So I'm going to say <laughs> Scotty Brun's Cod Army. All uh, right, let me switch into uh, advert mode. <clears throat> ntt20.substack.com Do you like things like football EFL football goals writing about goals thoughts on results hyperlinks hyperlinks thoughts on football players that are good or that aren't good but mostly those that are good thoughts on football managers if that's the sort of thing that you're interested in and you also surf the world wide web via electronic mail. Go to ntt20.substack.com, pop your email address in there. Just see how it feels. Right, in League Two, uh, let's do the top four first, George. Wow, it's lively there, isn't it? None of the top three at the start of the weekend winning. Let's work through that first. Stevenage One, Salford Three is probably the best place to start. I mean, what's this? Is this Stevenage wobble? Is this Salford suddenly really, 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 really good? What are you saying? I think neither. Um,
1: we both we both put up the double A um, on, on the pod last week. Mm. And in my mind, at least, I think Stevenage probably put in a, a, a passable performance and almost a performance that, um, you know, didn't deserve a win. But you wouldn't have been surprised the way they played if they had got that win. They were the better side at 0-0. They looked the, the more likely... St- Side to score at nil 0, albeit mainly from set pieces, which is to be expected. I don't know if you saw, I know you were busy um, drinking pints at non league day on uh, Saturday. So I don't know if you saw um, my tweet at half time where, I mean, I just loved it how Stevenage had 65, had completed 65 passes in the first half and had nine shots, working out at a, at a rate of a shot every 6.8 completed <laughs> passes, which is just excellent unbelievable um, and and very stevenage um, and Salford didn't really play too much of a part in that first half but that that changed um, and well i mean I, it's really hard to to say how important it was but there were two kind of big flashpoints in this game both concerning the same two players um, in um, Hen- callum hendry and uh the Stevenage keeper, whose name escapes me right Release now. McCracken. McCracken, exactly. The emergency keeper on loan from, from Norwich, um, where the first incident looks like a, a, a pretty bad foul and you're wondering if, if Hendry's going to get sent off and he isn't punished at all. I'm not here saying it's a sending off at all, none of that. And then a few minutes later... no just saying no, it was, is, though, was a moment. you can't no, say no, I, it. I, I don't think you can tell from the angle that we're given, basically. Um, but it's late. I mean, there's no denying it's a foul, and it, it didn't look great. And then there is another one which is also late, where, where again it's definitely you know fully entitled to to go for it. There's no malice in it at all. But um, Hendry's knee or leg catches McCracken in the in the head, and um, there is a long stoppage in play, and he has a bandage around his head for the rest of the game. So presumably a, a pretty nasty flesh wound. And then the first goal. Um, from Stevie Mallon is... I mean, firstly, it's for a, a team who are, are so good at getting the marginal gains from set pieces, for Stevenage to to, to fall asleep to the extent that the... the, the um, I don't know who took the sort of free kick was able to roll it. Just roll it to Mallon um, on the edge of the area.
0: I think it's Elliot Watt. And so I think he gets an assist. He does as well. And that puts him on 15 for the season. And, and he should I'm, because I'm, it's so, quick thinking, you know? Yeah, I'm so torn here. It's the classic, like... He's just tapped it three yards to his mate and he's got his 15th assist of the season. But I I say there's also been loads of good passes that haven't been converted by his friends. And we can find out exactly more about those using the expected assists statistic.
1: There there are worse examples. So there are better examples of bad assists than that one. Because I think that it takes some stones to when you've got a free kick 25 yards from goal to, um, or like, you know, even though from an angle um, to, to try and pull that off and some, in, in, in you know, inventiveness and to put off a, a training ground training ground routine. So I'm going to give him a bit of credit. It's funny you say Basically that because, because I love him.
0: Sw- Swindon completely botched a free kick where they tried to do something relatively yeah. similar where they had everyone up, played it short, weren't on the same wavelength, Stockport broke on them and scored. So there you exactly. go. Yin and Yang. Um where was I? oh yeah, Mullen
1: basically strokes into the bottom corner. McCracken, it's a bit of a weird one where he kind of leaves it. Like I, do, I do, I'm I'm not here saying that he's his head injury fl- meant that he wasn't. Yeah, I was going to say he's got a
0: fleshy head wound.
1: Well, that's what I mean. Mm. So like, so you got Henry who wasn't sent off for the first instance. He's then on the pitch to injure the the keeper in the next instance. And then the keeper, two minutes later, doesn't die for a for like a 25-yard goal that's rolled into the corner. Did it have an impact? I don't know. My job is here to ask the question to the listener and they can make up their own minds when they click on the link on the um, newsletter. So you tell me, basically. Um, and then uh, of course it's Hendry who then goes and gets the second goal Mm. should he have been on the pitch I don't know you go and tell me you have a look at it it yourself Uh, Luke Norris um, then scored in the 92nd minute there was loads of um, injury time because the keeper McCracken had a flesh wound to the head and went down for ages should he have been sent off I don't know you tell me Um, and I was watching um, Gillette or or whatever it's uh, Gillette Labs whatever it is now uh, on Sky Sports News and I, you know, for, for the um, in the interests of being transparent, um, I have a, a, a Stevenage, Plymouth, um, double, uh, and maybe a Trixie with Burnley as well at a big price from the, early in the season. So it is in my interest that Stevenage uh, pick up points, especially in Orient drop points. I'm not too embarrassed to admit that.
0: And oh, I'm not, I'm not too embarrassed to admit I've got like a thousand to one bet that might come in. Oh, I'm glad you're not embarrassed no. about that, mate. Well done.
1: Well, just mainly, you know, I think it's important <laughs> to be transparent for this I, I don't want them to wonder why I'm so rattled about Callum, not, Callum Hendry not being sent <laughs> off, especially when I was sitting here talking about how much I loved him last week. Um, and, it's international uh, break.
0: We can expand a bit more on these things.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and they went out to Jules and they said, there's been a goal at the Lamex. And I got very excited. And It turned out that Matt Smith had basically just thumped one in from a long throw to make it 3-1 uh, to Salford. Salford scored three of their six shots. Um, as I say whether or not the keeper's injury had an impact on that I'll let you tell me uh, but I think Stevenage's performance Stevenage have put in some bad performances recently this wasn't necessarily one of them albeit they'll feel like all three goals are probably avoidable um, and you know with with Orient dropping points at Hartlepool this was a massive opportunity for them because they are in such a weird position where you know they are still s- perceived to be the second favourites to win the league I'm not necessarily sure that's right given they, they go to Northampton uh, on the weekend and again, I think Northampton Hamton are, are rightfully favourites for um, but they're in danger if they lose that game then their position in the top three is very very much being called into question
0: we need to discuss after recording maybe never recording at 1pm again because I'm so hungry I didn't eat beforehand and I'm just I ate <sighs> I,
1: had a bowl of, I had a bowl of ramen but I wasn't hungry I have, I have at, Monday at... ramen every, every Monday before the pod do
0: you? yeah do you make it?
1: nope there are two there are two ramen places. There's one very near my house, a Tonkotsu. Oh yeah. Um which, which is where I went today, so I can just basically go there on the way to the to the tube. And then if I'm already here, there's one Canada Ya just down which we've been to together before, just down in Angel. That's
0: so, a great place, Canada Ya. Yeah. It is it is
1: my treat to myself on Mondays is a bowl of ramen.
0: I was going to suggest that we go to Canada Ya for lunch tomorrow when we're in the office together, but that's Probably good. Back to back ramen. I, I,
1: I, I had I had Tonkotsu today. Yeah, they do other stuff there as well. I could get
0: some gyoza perfect um god I'm, now i'm even more hungry <laughs> uh, gillingham won carlisle nil J- carlisle the third place team also losing and they didn't offer much just just they were just three shots here mate and am i gonna bring something up because i think it suits an agenda that i have yes maybe i am but on big match preview before the stevenage carlisle game i asked the question why is Paul Simpson so keen to start Joe Garner over Christian Dennis, who is gunning for the League Two golden boot, but has lost his place pretty significantly to Joe Garner over the last eight games or so. Garner isn't scoring goals, uh, isn't offering a goal threat whatsoever. If you look at the underlying numbers, he is barely registering in the opposition box. Garner is disrupting defenders um, Challenging for a lot of aerial duels. It feels like Carlisle have got way more direct in the last few weeks as a result of Garner playing instead of Dennis because he is more of an aerial threat than Dennis. He is winning a lot of aerial duels and therefore potentially tiring defenders out and allowing uh, the fresher legs to, you know, have more impact later on. Maybe all of that's true. I still cannot understand why Dennis isn't starting at least some of these games because, to my eyes, it looks like Carlisle are a worse attacking team and there's probably way more at play here and there's probably way more context and Paul Simpson has all the context and he spends way more time thinking about this than I do and I know that whatever he chooses to do is is better and and more well qualified than whatever I think but I do not understand it and I think Carlisle look way less threatening and they have a potent goal scorer proven this season on the bench, I don't know why they have to play long. Why they've decided that that's the the best way to go to adapt their play? Because they've got ball players. They've got um, in midfield, in particular, McAlmont and Moxon and Guy. They've got pace and trickery up front, um, either in Patrick or in in Kaimane. Gordon on loan from. From Crystal Palace. So I'm finding it a little peculiar. I realised that two weeks ago they are in great form. They were scoring quite a lot of goals. They were being really shared around the team. Um, I also know you don't need a 20 goal a season striker. I just find it a bit weird that if their games are going to look like this, low margin grinders basically, and you have a 20 goal a season striker. In on your bench, why you wouldn't give him um, more chance? I I should say I also watched Garner and Dennis play up front together against Wimbledon, and that definitely doesn't work because uh, I don't think they complement each other very well. So um yeah, all eyes on Carlisle's next starting eleven because they weren't good here. Um They didn't trouble Gillingham, and Jill's got a an injury time winner uh, through Sean Williams, George. I'm trying not to say the same stuff that I said on the newsletter. I think I'm doing okay on that front, but I have to bring up, because I haven't seen it anywhere else, the fact that since January the 1st of the year of our Lord 2023, Gillingham FC have won the most points in League 2. That is astounding. The most points in League 2 in this calendar year so far. Three months of it gone.
1: Yes, astounding. I'm still thrown by the Lord's year. The Lord Neil Harris Mm, could be I mean it's incredible in terms of what they're doing Uh, another side who are building um, for next season in an incredibly impressive way uh, defensively so solid you know I said that with Carlisle it would have felt like a a really decent week for them coming into this having uh, host Stevenage gone to Bradford and come away from both games drawing 0-0 but you kind of wonder if in the quest of being resolute in those two games they kind of forgotten how to attack um, we have to give Gilliam immense credit of course Gilliam's home uh, home form very good Gillingham's general form very good but their ability to clean, keep clean sheets has been so important in that um, they've only conceded one goal in their last six games uh, in well all competitions in the league are the same thing um, and that is a case of just avoiding the issue you know, teams aren't creating much against them uh, it's not like Morris is having to be man of the match every game um, but to restrict to Carl side who you know, prior to those back-to-back nil-nil's, were pretty free-scoring, um, to, to just three shots and, and basically none of them particularly good chances. Um, and then to grab the win late on, um, if, it definitely feels like something is is brewing at Gillingham. Um, and uh, you know, I, I don't know. You, I think basically for for so much to have gone wrong at that club over a, a kind of eighteen-month period, and then and then before that, to an extent too. Um, you often hear it said in football, God, this is going to take a long time to fix. Uh, and sometimes that is true. Sometimes, you know, if you offer players long contracts, the rest it can take time. But for, for Gillingham to basically turn it around on its head under a new owner in, in one transfer window um, is, is very impressive and it, and it bodes pretty well for, for whatever work they're going to do in the summer.
0: Well, those two results, George, opened the door for Doncaster nil, Northampton Town 2. They jump from fourth into second, but mate, the Donny goalkeepers, what is going on? Three <laughs> weekends in a row. Yeah, Jonathan Mitchell, um, the one here. Uh, I'd have rather had David Mitchell in goal there. I'd rather
1: have Phil Mitchell in goal.
0: Yeah, fair.
1: <laughs> Was Barry Mitchell? Barry Mitchell? Something inside so strong?
0: They're gonna do it anyway. <laughs> he wasn't a Mitchell,
1: yeah, but he was. He was related though. He was their cousin, Barry from Eastenders. Let's see what he uh, Barry Evans. But he was definitely who's Keith Mitchell, golfer. Yeah. In fairness, I think I think Keith Mitchell's got quite a good shout for the Masters. He's playing very well at the moment. Anyway, God, international weekend day. Eh? It really brings out the best in us. Barry Mitchell, Mitchell, Jonathan
0: Mitchell, Joni Mitchell. We should have said yeah. Joni Mitchell, the singer. I should have said that first, and then that would have just been it, and then we could have moved on. I a we... very
1: sad scene in Love Actually when Emma and oh, when Emma, Emma Thompson thinks that she's going to get a necklace from uh, from Alan Rickman, and then it's a Joni Mitchell CD. You
0: love Joni Mitchell. <sighs> I love Emma Thompson in Love Actually. She's so nice. She is very nice. Absolutely done over by that. She's every mum. Right. Every mum. <laughs> <laughs> Come on,
1: Jonathan Mitchell makes mistakes for both goals he's, he's a goalkeeper that makes mistakes and has done all his career he played for my team for a bit on loan and made some mistakes um he played for northampton and made the team that he made mistakes against here made some mistakes uh he yeah for both of them one he he lets it for the first lets it basically through himself um through his legs i assume um after two minutes from mitch pinnock just a long range shot and then hoskins pounces on Another kind of similar to to the goal we were talking about earlier from from Mojo, um, just a really bad bit of passing out from the back where Hoskins is able to intercept it and then, and then slot home. So it, on the face of the game, there wasn't a great deal between the two sides; just two absolute aberrations from the Donny keeper being the difference between between the two. And um, you know, for Cobblers, that there are teams in the EFL who, in my mind, have an inherent uh, characteristic where they, they they throw away points inopportune moments Northampton are just completely the opposite where they are a side where who are very good in a lot of their games and win those and then when they're not at their best they, they man- manage to win games as well you know there's no denying in my mind that there are teams in League 2 whose ceilings are so much higher than Northampton's yet where, where I'm sitting now I think Northampton are 11 to 1 to win League 2 with Stevenage at home coming up this weekend I think that Looks the value to me. I, I I don't see why they are significantly a bit. You know, I don't I don't see them being far less likely to chase down Orient from this stage as Stevenage.
0: Do we have them topping our one to twenty fours? That would have been wow. you if we did. Yeah, it'd be exciting if they do. Go on the Cobblers. Uh, Hoskins hitting twenty league goals, the first Northampton Town player to do so since Richard Hill in 1986-97. Who could forget? Uh, that means that uh, Middlesbrough. Through Chuba Akpom and now Northampton through Sam Hoskins. They were the two of the 92, they were the two longest without a 20 goal a season player, and now they've both uh, got one in the same season. So now the longest stretch without a 20 goal a season player is Sheffield Wednesday, just compiling the misery of their. Bad weekend. Uh, 10 goals at home, 10 goals away for Hoskins. Uh, four with his left peg, 14 with his right peg, one with his head and one with other. I like to think that might have been his backside, but it's probably his thigh or something like that. Uh, five in the six yard box, 11 inside the penalty box and four outside the box. Just been, he's been relentless this season. Uh, 20 goals, fantastic achievement and a brilliant weekend for Cobblers. Got even better, George, on Sunday evening. Ivan Tony the first player from the Northampton Town Academy to play for England. Quite a proud moment as people who follow the EFL, that I thought. um, He has had a -a remarkable seven years or so, Ivan Tony. And now he's an England capped international.
1: Yeah, incredible. Um, And about time too. um, I'd have been very surprised if you told me when I was watching Ivan Tony at Sixfields. Uh, diving round it when he was seventeen years old, that he had gone to play for England. Um, I'd have been even more surprised if he told me then that I'd be such a massive fan of his as I am now. Um, it's been great to watch him develop. He has been, I think, it's been very obvious to anyone who's watched a lot of EFL football from even the Peterborough um, days that he was destined for, for at least the Premier League and 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 hopefully as far as he's gone. Uh, and I also think you know a bit of international analysis. I think he's he's basically the perfect player for England to have as a Harry Kane deputy um, in terms of being able to do what Kane well not what Kane does but being similar in terms of of, of the prolific nature of his goal scoring whilst also offering a lot more than just goal scoring prowess and crucially being probably the only person in in the country who could have a fair shout of saying they're a better penalty taker than Harry Kane as well so um, delighted to see him there and yeah I'm sure that now he's in we've seen a lot of um, players come and go in that role most of them EFL graduates Holly Watkins uh, Dominic harvard lewin you would hope now that I think Tony will, will cement his place as being um, the second string striker for England for, for the years to come
0: mm. uh, and Leighton Orient the top team they dropped points uh, but in doing so got one point more than the team in second and third did so a bit of a weird and not that destructive weekend for Orient they drew out Hartlepool it's their fourth draw in a row now they've taken the lead in all four of those This feels quite neat, doesn't it, just in terms of like some variants from early in the season where when Orient took the lead, they won a disproportionate amount of those games um, and they got a ton of points on the board, which means that I'm still pretty confident that they're going to win the title, win promotion. Um, But uh, but Hartlepool certainly giving it a go, aren't they, George? That's five in a row for them now. And in all of them, they've had spells where they look really dangerous. When you watch the highlights, you're like, oh, this Hartlepool team are creating chances. But it feels like they're only doing that in patches, quite often when they're already behind. And so I just think they're still fighting, and I respect it, but I think it might be futile. But they are still fighting. It might be futile because Crawley have 10 points from four, George. They beat Rochdale 2-0 in a game that we build as, Rochdale, don't lose this, because if you lose this, that's you done. And it might be the end of their... 100-plus year in the EFL, 2-0 defeat.
1: Yeah, you know that I'm not one to um, call things done before they're done, always willing to believe there's a chance. But um, I think we're nearly at the stage of putting a fork in Dale because, um, yeah, I mean, they were they were poor here. Crawley were, were by far the better team, um, completely deserving of their 2-0 win, um, probably deserving of, of, of winning the game by, by more if anyone was. So uh, this was... Basically, last chance for saloon for Dale, and they, they didn't really show up. And for me, that is makes it pretty impossible to believe that they're going to get the necessary points needed to bridge what is now a ten point gap, with a worse goal difference as well. Um, really sad, if I'm honest. I think Rochdale are just a, a bastion of the EFL, really. And um, I've had I've been been once and enjoyed my time there. Um, and I'm really hopeful that there'll be a team who, who do come back, knowing how competitive the National League is. It feels pretty impossible in my mind unless there is significant change at Rochdale to see why they'll be able to compete at the top end of the National League. And um, and that is, is very, very sad. So hopefully, I mean, they will return. Hopefully when they do return, you and I are still sitting here doing our podcast. Um, but yeah, it's, it's hard to really find anything Um positive to say about, about Dale, apart from the fact that we'll
0: miss them. Because I didn't want to be sitting here saying, yeah, I think they're down. I was stretching, I was straining for some morsels, some crumbs of reasoning to to sort of cling to. And I thought, oh, we've had a miracle survival before in League Two, since we've been doing the pod. Newport County under Mike Flynn. Uh, and so I looked to remind myself what that meant, what was the miracle survival. Newport were 11 points from safety, Crawley only 10 But that was with 12 games to go and Crawley, uh, sorry, and Rochdale only have seven. They've actually played a game more than most of the teams they're chasing. So, uh, yeah, not feeling great about that. Um, Dom Telford showing what a good player he is and how important I think it is that you pair him with someone like Ashley Nadson. Um, Less focus on Telford from the centre-backs when he's playing with a partner. Just allows him a little bit of extra space and time to do what he does. Uh, And that was control really well, uh, swivel and finish to put um Crawley ahead uh, in the playoff picture George Swindon nil Stockport 1 i mean pretty lively affair this one a red card within the first minute um Jakey Wakey uh, wasn't hmm. was still asleep no that's harsh i felt a bit bad for jacob wakeling because nah. he's just running back uh, no. someone's in behind him I, I don't i think it was a red let me let me be clear oh, right. but okay. i think it's one of those reds where i can still feel a bit sorry for the player it's like 40 seconds in Someone's in, you know. Someone's in behind, and he just sort of, he's just r- sort of ran into the back just of him. Ran into the back of him. Yeah. As <laughs> not, yeah. I know, but you know, I slag a lot of players off when they commit what I consider to be dangerous play or violent conduct or, or dissent. I think that. But when I it's think those... but when, it,
1: when it's stupid play, you're like, ah, poor lad. Yeah, kind
0: of. Yeah, he's a striker yeah. playing left wing back. I, I feel a bit bad mm. for him. Anyway, they saved the pen, didn't they? And then they had to defend a lot, didn't they? And Swindon didn't have a shot at all in this match Um, but Stockport still huffing and puffing before that aforementioned botched attacking free kick that Swindon had that led to a quite an exciting Stockport counter-attack and a winning goal from Ryan Crowsdale who does not score many. have to admit I didn't think Stockport looked that good here I still want to see a little bit more from them uh, in the last eight games of the season but still a a valuable three points for them Uh, and the first game at the county ground where Swindon Town were the owners of the county ground. George, they've been playing there since 1896, and they've never owned the stadium until late last week. It's a great story. I would implore you to head to the Swindon Town website and read all about Nigel Eady, who is the man behind this, um, and his legacy, which is now that his beloved Swindon Town owned the county ground, where he spent so many years going to watch them um, before he passed. It's, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful story. It's a shame that uh, you know the football gods didn't play ball really for uh, for for Nigel's legacy there. But um, great stuff for Swindon, and uh, they lost the game to Stockport. Uh, George Barrow two Wimbledon one.
1: Wimbledon conceding another lead and losing a game is becoming a really troublesome trend uh, for for them. Uh, hard to really understand what is going on. Um, because, again, I'm not sure the performance is necessarily that bad. But when you go one up away from home against a side and Barrow, who haven't won a home game or won one home game for a pretty long amount of time and have also been unable to score more than a goal in a game for, for quite a long time, then then it spells, you know, you should really be able to hold on to that. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Um, I know a lot of the fans have are demanding a change now. Um, I th- always think of AFC Wimbledon, especially as a, you know, a fan-owned club, a, a, a not the kind of club who are going to look to chop and change manager whenever possible. I, I personally hope, you know, again, full transparency, You know, obviously he's a mate of ours, um, but I hope that, that Johnny Jackson is given an opportunity to to, to, to at least turn around and, 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 and show them over the course of between now and the end of the season why he should be able to, to stay at the club for next season. Um, but on the evidence of, of the game again on Saturday, there are massive issues. Barrow keep their very, 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 very very slim playoff hopes alive. Um,
0: Six points off. Play the game more.
1: Possibly, but probably not. Um, But either way, it's been a really positive first season under Pete Wilde.
0: Couldn't agree more with that. I think it's almost a shame that Barrow are not playing any of the teams that they're kind of chasing down. You know, your Mansfields and your Stockports. um, Because probably when there's a six points gap and you've played a game more... You actually want those fixtures, I think, in order to give yourself the, the better chance of, of um, chopping the, the gap. Um, Wimbledon conceding another set-piece goal as 20 this season. The second most set-piece goals conceded in League Two. Good piece on this by Tim Hansen, uh, who's a Wimbledon fan, who's on NCT 20 Squad. Uh, his website is Plough Lane by Numbers. Just a bit of a annoying one, I would say, uh, in that only three teams have conceded fewer goals than Wimbledon from open play. So open play defence big old tick in that box but only one team's conceded more from set pieces it just strikes me as a sort of thing that could could improve a lot season to season and that could make a massive difference like there's teams like them who don't concede many goals from open play generally don't concede many goals from set pieces a team like them would ordinarily have conceded like 10 goals fewer from set plays and that well that would mean more points. That would mean a slightly better outlook. Uh, they have to sort that out. It's not good enough. Um, mitigating circumstances here. Well, 21-year-old keeper making his debut that came and missed a punch uh, and a fully homegrown back four as well. Their their injuries have been remarkable this season as well. Uh, I'm going to uh, Wimbledon-Walsall on Tuesday night with a, a chunk of NTT20 squatters. Uh, we're going to be in the Sadler's away end. So if there are any Walsall fans listening and you're making the trip for the big one, Wimbledon, Walsall. Um Yeah, give us away wave. It'd be good to see you. Uh, George uh, Mansfield, nil. Sutton, nil. Was miserable football match. Quite a lot of these seems at the moment. Miserable football match. I'm just going to read out a really nice thing that Neil, who's Sutton fan on the squad, flagged up. He said, when Craig Dundas came on to play up front alongside academy graduate Killian Kuasi, there was a 23-year age gap between them. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> How good's that? Kuasi, I think, is 19 and Dundas is... 42. Can't imagine that's happened very often. Wow. Give, yeah, that is fun. Gives me like Good Janssen coming on for his Iceland debut in replace of his uh, dad vibes.
1: Yes, that is also <laughs> a good thing that I like. Um, in terms of Mansfield, it was interesting to hear Nigel Clough basically pretty downbeat and saying that with the injuries that they've got at the moment, it was always going to be hard for them. Um, very quickly over the last week or so, Mansfield... A, a, there's a three-point gap that's opened up between them and Bradford. Them and Bradford have games in hand on the other teams in that race for the playoffs. Um, but with Salford's form improving and with Mansfield's issues in terms of, of who's available to them, unless that is rectified fairly soon, uh, you wonder. And I wonder if maybe this... Obviously Sutton and Barrow will still have hopes that they can break into it. But I do wonder if that top seven might be a solidified fairly soon if Mansfield are unable to improve.
0: Grimsby won, Walsall won. I reckon, and I know that people within the game hate it when I say stuff like this, and they quite rightly would like to defend the professionalism of the players involved. But I reckon this might be one of the earliest beach football fixtures of the season uh, for Grimsby, having been knocked out of the FA Cup, having had An unbelievable finish to last season with the the exhausting National League playoffs and done themselves pretty proud this season, certainly with that cup run. Um, Arguably could have done a bit better in the league, but won't go down. Uh, I think that they're pretty relaxed at this stage. And Mike Flynn's one of those managers who I sort of think when when there isn't a bit between his teeth in the form of something to, to aim for, I think his team's... Can drop off a little bit. So uh, Grimsby won, Walsall one was a match that happened. Uh, Cole you won, Tranmere one. Have you seen the weird clip from this? Connor Hall, Colchester defender celebrating the awarding of a penalty by running up to a Tranmere defender and like fist pumping where his fist ends up either hitting or like missing the player by a millisecond. It's got like over a million views online because it's so weird. Just search for Connor Hall. Um, quite funny. I I I can't. I don't think he's going to get dinged for violent conduct because I'm not sure he actually hits him. But it's literally like if I walked up to you next time I see you and I just like punch you in the face but stopped like just before your face, you'd be a bit like, what the hell are you doing, mate? Uh, anyway, quite funny. Uh, and lastly, I'm going to finish because I enjoy these shows where there's, a, there's fewer games and we can expand a bit more and we can talk about Rahman. Um, and 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 I think the EFL nerd in me comes out a bit more on these occasions. So, George, I want to talk about Tranmere, Ian Dawes' caretaker manager. And I just remembered he had one of the most bonkers caretaker spells in the last few years, right? 2021 season. Um, I think he took over from Mickey Mellon then, before Keith Hill came in. He had three league games in charge, and they won them 1-0 at Harrogate. 4 3 at Vale and 5 0 against Grimsby. In that time they also won 5 3 in the Pizza Cup and 2 1 in the FA Cup. So he had five games in charge. They won all of them. And I've just remembered that we even had a name for the tactics the Dawes Diamond. Ian Dawes <laughs> loves a diamond more than any other manager, including Nathan Jones. And he's done it again. He's I mean,
1: Nathan Jones hates <laughs> the diamond now, so be careful. He's done
0: saying. it again. He's the Tranmere caretaker. He's gone straight to a diamond. And I, I, I unironically love it. Like, And I think it kind of makes sense as well. You've got Bristow and Dacus Cogley, who I always bring up because I think they're the best fullbacks in the league. Let them rampage. Don't put anyone in their way. Give them the space down the flank. A Regan, Hendry, Mary, uh Reese Hughes and Hawks a quad in midfield. Fine, I guess. S- Saunders and Mumbongo up top. Okay, sure. Like, why not? And I honestly think there's a chance. If he goes full Doors Diamond for the next seven or eight games, we might be seeing like a five goals per game vibe. And I'm here for it, as they say. I'm here for it. Me too. I mean,
1: I'm just terrified that I can't remember that, like,
0: at all. Which well, I strange. was behind closed doors, and I don't think we remember a lot about
1: we <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Okay, well, you know what? I think the fans are going to enjoy what they see in the next couple of weeks. Um, George, next weekend in League Two, get this up you. Stockport v Salford, Friday, 5th versus 6th. Mm. Northampton v Stevenage, 2nd v 3rd. Leighton Orient v Carlisle, 1st v 4th. All of the top six playing against each other. There's only seven points between 2nd and 6th. Oh boy, what a treat. And this isn't even me being excited about something that you shouldn't be excited about. This is legitimate.
1: <laughs> this is real excitement. Yeah, it's incredible. And especially because, as I mentioned, um, yeah, I don't see why the race for the top three has to stop necessarily at Carlisle. I think the top one, Salford, definitely being good teams, good enough to put on proper winning runs. And with Carlisle goalless in their last three games, Stevenage having their own run of poor form. Um, you know, Northampton, as I mentioned, not necessarily being the most convincing. I don't see why Stockport or Salford couldn't go on the kind of winning run, especially taking team taking points off teams around them to, to get them in the top three. So, yeah, incredibly exciting. Um, and hopefully Steven and <laughs> are able to continue their, their challenge for the title.
0: Well, where would be the best place to learn all about these gargantuan games at the top of League 2? Well, first of all, the podcast. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast feed. But also... NTT20.substack.com will provide both a weekend preview in your inbox on a Friday and also the famous weekend notes form of the newsletter on a Monday morning. Head to NTT20.substack.com if you like EFL football and words. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you to Betfair for their support of this podcast. Uh, We are very, very grateful for it. It allows us to cover these leagues as closely as we can, as closely as we want. The passion still burns brightly. The end of the season is upon us. Next week, I think it's time to say, welcome to the run-in. This has been the NTT20 podcast, the Monday pod, sponsored by Betfair. Join us for a betting show on Thursday. Have a good week. Go out.